You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Your network. You're listening to. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox with my co-host, Lauren Della, this morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, this morning, this early morning, at least on the West Coast, it's early, what is it, 7 o'clock, Voice America Women's Network. Good morning, Lauren. How are you this morning? Good morning, Catherine. I'm excellent. How are Good. you? I am great. I am fine. I am here. I just had this wonderful thing happen to me yesterday. Someone who we both know came in uh, and straightened out my entire office. It is so beautiful. It is so organized, and I feel like I can do so much more work now. Uh, it's not the best. Yeah, Gail at Business Keeping, folks, if you need her. Uh, she's fantastic. She's, unfortunately, she's not on the West Coast. Well, it doesn't matter, I guess, virtual. But um, Gail at Business Keeping, she was, I mean, I have to tell you, we spent five hours in this office. Get, wow. Yeah, I mean, it was just a total mess. And it is, somehow when you clear up the clutter, um, it, it clears up everything. It does. It clears up everything. Mm-hmm. Then you can, you feel like you can just sort of, start from the beginning and it's just very, I, I don't know it's very much more focused I just feel so good about it I can't tell you anyway guest today uh, I hope she's going to be on this morning because we can't seem to get a hold of her but um, we're trying is HBO's Emmy winning award winning Sex in the City Liz Tusillo and she's written a new novel she was the one who wrote for Sex in the City she was the executive story editor but her new novel is How to Be Single not for us, though. A novel, the ultimate adventure for the modern single girl. Uh, you know, most girls are trying to not be single. They're trying to get out of their singlehood. So we'll see, well, you know, being single, how to be single, how to enjoy being single. Uh, second guest, New York Times bestselling author Maureen Kelly, Nuns Having Fun. Did you ever know that nuns could have fun, Lauren? I did. I have a friend that was a nun. Was a nun, but then was. she got out of it. Yes, she's no longer a nun. But she has fun. Not that much fun, or she got. <laughs> yeah, right. I, Not so much fun that she stayed forever. Sometimes I feel like I have thought about I'd like to be a nun. Isn't that t- like when things get really hard or really tough? I think you know maybe there is something about celibacy. I've raised my kids, go into the nunhood, do good stuff, you know, sort of have a somebody to take care of me, and I don't Let's have to do deal the basics. With... Like yeah, they do the cooking and you know, yeah. yeah, I know. I have a so, feeling there's something to it. There is something to it. I think so. So anyway, um, whoever said, well, that not fun and nuns are mutually exclusive, we'll find out. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of guests this morning. Uh, Andrea Buchanan, the pocket-daring book for girls discussing high-pressured and competitive 21st century modern girlhood. This is for you because you have a young girl mm-hmm. who's going to get into this kind of stuff. And Burrell is our last guest, Secrets of a Restaurant Chef. And she is on the uh, Food Network, and she has been the sous chef for Mario 
Patelli. She is like going to talk to us about uh, being a top restaurant chef. Very interesting. Okay, I guess we do. We track down our first guest, so we are going to be able to find out Lauren. And you have to jump in and answer questions because you've been single, I think, longer than I have. Um, Liz Tusillo. How to Be Single, a novel, the ultimate adventure for the modern single girl. And she's the former executive story editor of Sex and the City. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Liz. Good morning. Thank you. We found you. I'm so sorry that I was lost. Well, are you single and having too much fun or what? <laughs> That's what was happening. Yeah. Was, no. Um, I... Uh... <laughs> You don't have to tell us. <laughs> no, I just there was a mis- there was a miscommunication. I'm so sorry. No, great. Well, so you're here. So, okay, yeah, I am here. Yeah, how to be single? Now, most girls uh, or young women that I know need that advice because most of them are trying not to be single. I mean, the ones I know, like in New York City, they're always trying to find a man. And yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think it's a, it's fine. I mean, I think it makes sense for to find a man, and I don't think single is is necessarily the op, you know the status that anybody is striving for, but I guess there's just this, especially when as you get older and you sort of things become a little bit more complicated, I think that there's just more uh, to be said on the topic besides you have to find a man or it's fabulous to be single, let's go all go out and party. Like there's just a sort of a huge, you know, gray area in between those two things that is sort of what the book is about. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what the book is about, how to be single. Uh, you say it's an elusive dating game where the rules keep changing. And uh, <laughs> so what are the rules for dating for women? <laughs> um, I think the only rule that I, you know, that I feel still comfortable talking about is that, you know, if a guy doesn't call you or ask you out or, uh, you know, want you to meet his friends or, you know, make you feel like you're special in his life. He's just not that into you. Besides that, I'm still comfortable with that piece of advice, but everything else I think is pretty up in the air. So when you say, and I have to say that I saw that episode, he's, just not that into you. That yes. was so. You know why it was so cool? Because I've had I have so many single girlfriends. Either they're most of them divorced, and and it's like always trying to well make excuses for him why he doesn't call. And it, I mean that's the one thing you want to say to them. You know what? He didn't call because he's just not that into you. I that's know. it. You know and. They don't want to hear it, but, no. uh, you know, but you gave us permission to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how often people say that, though, still. No, well, probably more on, now. I mean, that stuck with me, and I've said it to a couple girlfriends, yeah. actually. You know, you yeah, just got to face it. All right, but that's the other book. That's the other show. Okay, How to Be Single. Yes. Um, talk yeah, about no, I mean, I think that, um, I don't think, I think it's just the dating, the rules keep changing, and there's not that many rules to live by except, I guess, to have some type of, uh, self-respect so that no matter what happens, you sort of stay on uh, firm ground, right? Yeah, I agree with you. And you have to not be just, uh, you know, like the heroine in the book. I mean, you you take trips. uh, You feed yourself. You, I mean, feed yourself emotionally, spiritually. uh, Do things for yourself, not always looking for somebody else to do it for you, right? Isn't that part of it? Yeah, and have close close, uh, relationships with friends, family, you know, who are, yeah, to still have sort of an intimate relationships with people where they might not necessarily be, uh, you know, your partner, but still having, you know, having close relationships with lots of people is really yeah. very satisfying. Now, is this book based on your own life or any of your own? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, I did, I did. I'm a social worker. I have to know. Oh, I really. Fantastic. Yeah. What a great 
What a great, uh, what a great, great experience to have for your job as well. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I did go around the world and interview single women about what it was like to be single. So that's that part of just sort of the point of view that women have all over the world is true. Uh, it's sort of pretty well represented. And in terms of the stories, um, not really. I mean, I sort of made, I pretty much made most of the stuff up. But they all sort of maybe there's a little grain of truth in everything. Yeah, because you're writing the. It, it is who you. I mean, it, there has to be somewhat of you in there, I guess, but not completely. When yeah. you say you went, I'm curious about this. You went around the world and you interviewed different single women from around the world. You talk Reykjavik, Sydney, Rio, Rome, and other places. Yeah. Is it? And you're saying it's the same in different. Is did you find that single women face some of the same kinds of or feel the same way about being single in different countries around the world, or are there differences in different cultures? Um, I think that there's some similarities, and there's surprisingly a, a lot of differences. And, a lot, and the culture, and even sometimes the politics, um, plays a lot to do with uh, how women perceive their singleness. It's very interesting. I talk, oh, what about Reykjavik? That's one place I want. I've been around the world. I haven't been to Reykjavik, and I wanted to go, and I haven't been yet. So what are the women in Reykjavik like? I mean, that was my favorite place to be. Uh, the women were, it, it just seemed like a culture that was very, first of all, it was very female-centric, and uh, the women were very strong. They were the people to have a first, um, to have a first uh, female president, and she was a single mother, and they they just seem to have not a strong sense of of judgment against any specific lifestyle. So whether you were a single mother, whether you were a uh, you know divorced, whether you were married and you were had five children but weren't married, none of the none of this there was no stigma about anything. There was just acceptance on any situation you were in. Five so children not married is a nightmare. What? <laughs> Five children and not marry. <laughs> well, or I guess not what, having... I is, what I guess what I meant is that there were a lot of couples that had families and were together for ten, fifteen years and weren't married. All right, so that's great. I, I didn't realize that. And, by, and for anyone who doesn't know that Reykjavik is the capital of Iceland, we have to say that. Um, so in other words, they're very non-judgmental in Iceland. Women have power whether they're married or not, and it doesn't make any difference. And so then I guess they don't. So they don't feel bad about being single because it's not an expectation. Yeah, there's no. It's sort of like there's not a very high priority placed on marriage. So Good. therefore, you can feel very bad if you're not. Yeah. Do we have a high priority placed on marriage? This is single. Uh, I mean, this is interesting. This whole single thing because we say we want to be married, but then people get married and then we get divorced. Not just once or twice, but we keep trying. I'm not. It's kind of. It's very funny how you know. Well, yeah, well, go ahead. No, it's very complicated. That's why, I mean, it's a really great point because uh, you have, I believe we are a country that is so marriage obsessed. I mean, if you just look at what, as a culture, we put out there in the world, like every movie we have, every romantic comedy ends, or even not some, not romantic comedies, they all end in some type of wedding or marriage. Uh, it's, um, it's really surprising when you really see how many movies have, large weddings in them. And then yet at the same time we do have a high divorce rate and and we do and we do have a high single culture, but so that's a very so we're getting a lot of mixed messages, I think. In yeah. that every movie we see is about romantic love and marriage and that that's the ideal. And yet the truth is there's more single 
households households now than there are married households. Yeah, and I'm one of them. I was yes. married for 20 years, divorced, three kids. They're grown up. Now I have a partner. We don't even live together, as my listeners know. I keep saying that. We get along great uh, because we have two separate abodes and being single, and I'm happier than I've ever been. It's wonderful. I, you know, I sort of feel like, but I have the relationship, so it's the best of both. Yeah, it is. It's the best of both. And and uh, and also you've had the wonderful experience of raising children, having a family, and all that sort of stuff. So it is. It does. It does sound like the best of both worlds. Yeah, and we have. I want to. I want to make sure that listeners know where they can get the book. Obviously, online bookstores everywhere, and a website to go to because we only have a few seconds. Thirty seconds left, actually. Aww. Yeah, <laughs> I got more to ask you. Well, you have to come back on the show. Okay. All right. So, Liz, tell us um, website. Oh, um, www.howtobesinglethebook.com. Great. Is that the only one we need to go to? Or? Yes. Yeah. Well, that's well, that's where um, that's where the tells you about the book, and then, of course, there's Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. But to just get information about the book, you can go to www.howtobesinglethebook.com, and there's also footage of me interviewing these women all around the world, which is really fun to watch as well. Oh, fantastic. Okay, Liz Tosillo, nice having you on the show today. Thanks so much. How to be single, go to the website, and, and you can actually see Liz as she's in the process of interviewing the ladies who are in the book. Have a yes. great day. Thank you. Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, with my co-host Lauren Beller. We'll be back in a few minutes. Don't go away. Talking about what you care about. News, relationships, health, finances. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Are the days passing by faster than you can believe? Do your kids, job, pets, family, errands, and life demands leave no time left for you? Listen to Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum each week. You can have it all, balance it, and truly enjoy your life. Be ready to have fun, laugh, and learn from celebrities and everyday heroes. We don't need an entire life overhaul, just a little bit of tweaking for our lives to be what we want. Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum, every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Women's Network. Your life is waiting for you. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? If you did the unexpected? Would you feel scared? Proud? Relieved? Could you explain that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own? Or assisting an entrepreneur in Ukraine to launch her small business? or creating a support group in Malawi for children orphaned by AIDS. What if you established your own path, one that others might follow? Would you rather make your own way or spend your life saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call one 800 424 8580 or go to Gov. We don't beat you over the head with our opinion and we listen to yours. The new face of talk radio Voice America Women's Radio Network.
You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back to The Catherine Zox Show. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. And us is Catherine Zox, your social worker, with a microphone and my co-host, Lauren Deller. Lauren, um, we have on the show this morning, this is our next guest, Maureen Kelly. She's the author of Nuns Having Fun, and uh, which is a very cool book. And it's not it's, it's got great illustrations, actually photographs in it, Nuns Having Fun. Uh, she's a New York Times bestselling author. And uh, I asked the question before, did you know that Madonna once wanted to be a nun? And whoever said that fun and nun are mutually excuse, exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Maureen. You're talking to Catherine much, Sox Catherine. and Lauren Beller. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Good. So nuns can have fun. Well, those of us who were taught by nuns back in, the, back in the 60s and 70s always thought of them as very stern, and we didn't realize there was a lighthearted side there, too, uh, which we've captured in the book. Um, it has, a lot, as you mentioned, a lot of vintage photographs of nuns. These are real photographs of nuns bowling and skeet shooting and frolicking in the surf, um, they were found in, from, an, from a variety of sources. Um, some nuns sent us themselves, and some were from photo agencies. But they all show this really unusual and unexpected side of um, life behind the convent wall. Yeah, there's even one in the book of a nun hanging from a bar, those bars you put across the doors right. that I used to do for my boys so they could do push-ups and chin-ups. Yeah. And here's a nun doing that, which is very cool. There's a lot of athletic nuns actually playing soccer and basketball and bowling, even Twister. We call that Twister Sisters. And so it, you grew up you grew up in the 60s. Well, I grew up in the 60s also in a very Catholic town in Maine, which, you know, borders uh, – uh, Canada, and uh-huh. so, and my best friend was Catholic. Now, she, those nuns were kind of, or I always saw them as very kind of conservative, and she was always afraid of the nuns. They were going to hit her hands with a ruler if she said the wrong thing and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I guess that's, now these, and these nuns today, the ones that you have photographs in the book, mm-hmm. I mean, they all have on the garb, the nuns. Those are the real, yeah, that's the real thing. You know, it was a different era back then, and when um, my, when I wrote the book, um, Growing Up Catholic, with um, three co-authors, we were all from different parts of the country, but we realized what the nuns told us in our growing up years and going to parochial school or CCD classes, it was exactly the same. It was like we all went to boot camp together. So there's a shared camaraderie of having grown up in that era with nuns as a guiding force in your life. Now, one of the things that you in the book there's a chapter on nuns and nuns as saints, and I don't think people usually think about this, but some you you don't have to be a virgin to be a nun. I mean, one of the nuns had uh, was married, five children, husband died, and then she became a nun. Yeah, we call her the desperate housewife of of, um, <laughs> of the yes. I mean, those women who sisters who were saints, um, we call it above and beyond the calling. They kind of got the double whammy, and there are a number. Some of them are famous, like. Uh, St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, and um, St. Teresa the Little Flower, St. Clair of Assisi, and we just give a little thumbnail and some photographs of some of these more famous ones. And what about, now, Lauren, What we were talking about a little bit before we got, uh, before you were on the show, but uh, your experiences with nuns, Lauren, you have a friend who is a nun? I do. Well, she was. Oh, she was, so she got out of it. She got out, yeah. <laughs> But I don't think it was because of lack of fun. I think she went in for different reasons, you know? 
Yeah, women, and that's another, that's a good question, because, Maureen, why do women, or have you, you know, in, in doing the book or in mm-hmm. writing the book, um, why does one become a nun? Well, I think it's a variety of, of, of reasons, and really it's just a, a feeling, as we call it, you know, we call it getting the calling, or that's what is it's um, called euphemistically. It's like you have a, a calling to do better, do something better, special, different with your life that is closer to God. And um, I don't know if fewer women get the calling or just that there's so many more opportunities out there now that they don't hear it quite as loudly because there are fewer and fewer women who are um, becoming nuns these days. And those that are, most of the orders, um, almost all of the orders, don't wear the same, um, you know, the same habit that re- makes them recognizable out on the street. Um, in fact, we have a, a little section about how to tell um, a nun out of habit, and there's some some things that you should look for. Like um, they usually have a short, no-nonsense hairdo. They're impeccably groomed, um, clear fingernail polish, maybe a little crucifix at the neck, a dark pantsuit. Um, if you see someone like that, they may be um, a, a nun these days. Or look like Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we, we, we did have some fun with some popular figures, like the women um, who wanted to be nuns, I think you mentioned, Anne Hathaway and Madonna and actress Catherine Keener. They all actually said at some point that they thought about becoming a nun. And we also include um, the favorite nuns of the silver screen. We all remember, um, or some of us, Sally Field and the Flying Nun and Julie Andrews in the Sound of Music and Whoopi Goldberg in Sister Act. Those are really um, fun you know, char- caricatures in a way, but um, different, different types of nuns that, that we see. And then you also have this category of women who could have been nuns. Well, there's some certain quality, and it's hard to put your finger on it, maybe a little strictness, a little sweetness, or something just a little otherworldly quality that um, that women have. And we thought about who might have those categories, and they're, they're not nuns, nor, nor do they you know, want to be, but we thought women like Judy Dench, um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Anne Curry, uh, Cynthia Nixon, America Ferreira, and even Condoleezza Rice um, had some of those qualities. Yeah, they I'm do. I'm sure your listeners have their own ideas. Of who could have been a nun. I'm not sure <laughs> that I could have ever done it. I want to ask you, what about the nun? I mean, because you grew up Catholic, and, um, you know, like today, is there an issue between, with you know, the feminist kind of mentality and women, and nuns being secondary to priests, or is that anything that's, that's Well, you to know, be honest with you, I think that that's, that may be a, a big part of why there are fewer nuns, that... Um, you know, women find that they can be influential in their own parishes and their own churches without becoming nuns, if if that's what the, the kind of work that they want to do. Um, that that nuns are looked upon by some people as being sec- playing second fiddle to priests, and um, so I think fewer women you know, sort of want to do to, to go that route. Um, so that still exists within the Catholic Church. That kind of, that women, that the nuns are secondary to the priests. Well, because even I remember when I was a little girl, my parents would take us. We had my grandparents would go to Palm Beach, this beautiful hotel, and we would stay there and, and visit and for a week in the winter time during vacation. And there used to be these two priests who stayed at this beautiful hotel. Um, they were doing everything. I don't know about everything that everybody else was doing, but certainly eating and drinking and socializing. Uh-huh. And, and, and you never saw nuns doing that, but the priests were there having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that doesn't surprise me. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but and you know, and I don't know if that's still the case now, but it's fascinating. But how many nuns? I mean, do you, statistics like how many women go into becoming nuns? 
Um, you know do, that? We do have some statistics. We call it by the numbers. And, um, for, <laughs> for example, in the United States in 1965, there were close to 180,000 uh, nuns. And in 2007, there were about 64,000. So you can see how, how, how big the drop is. Yeah, that's a huge drop. Is there anything that could be done to change that? I, I was thinking of something else, Maureen. Um, there are all, you know, you say there are other, there's sort of other outlets for women to do good or do in the community and in their churches and stuff, because there are more, I mean, I'm, I'm a social workers and counselors and psychologists, mm-hmm. and you can kind of take that route too without being a nun. Um, and you can have fun as a social worker also. So, you know, you have to, um, that, yeah. that probably is part of it, yeah. yeah. Well, what our book is more than the statistics and the, you know, the sort of pessimistic view of, of the state of, of, the, of nuns these days. It's really a nostalgic look back at some of the fun memories that we had at, as with, with nuns and some of these wonderful photographs. There's over 200 photographs of nuns with funny captions and then some additional written material. Um, so we look back on things like, um, there's one section called Know Your Nuns that everybody had uh, if you had nuns as a teacher, do you remember there was a sporty nun? She was all, always out there on the field playing football with the eighth grade boys at recess. And <laughs> she could throw a mean Hail Mary pass. <laughs> there was um, one year I had a devout nun, we call it, she, who had us praying most of the day. We had to memorize patron saints for every sickness instead of learning our state capitals that year. So we just uh, there's a lot of looking back at some of the fun and some of the things weren't so funny then, but they're they're funny now. Um, just the different parts of the nuns' habit, um, the different orders look so different because of their different the different types of um, uh, clothing that they wore. We call that the wimple watch. And um, it's just fun for people who lived in that era to take a look back at this stuff. Yeah, the book is lots of fun. It's a wonderful book, and you've got, I mean, you have a nun here in the, in the book who is bowling. Um, a hook right. and a prayer will give sister a spare. Uh-huh. <laughs> One of my favorites is the nun go-kart riding. We call that, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> I saw that one. That's these, uh, these photographs are all, in fact, there's some new ones coming out. We have a calendar every year also called Nuns Having Fun that has um, you know, larger, uh, a wall calendar with larger photographs um, with the funny captions that people can be on the lookout for if they like this. So in writing this book and uh, you know, gathering the photographs, Maureen, was this kind of cathartic for you in terms of your background and growing up? As, um... It was. It was It was just, I guess it was more nostalgic than cathartic. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot that you kind of forgot that nuns were like, and it just opened up as, you know, looking back as an adult instead of as a child of what these women were all about. And I have to say that even though this book is um, is funny, it's um, more in, endearing, I think, or endeared, because uh, I really admire these women. I mean, they, they gave their lives to, to teaching and to helping others and um the good work that they do just can't be underestimated, especially in this day and age. So when you look back and see that these were really strong women and in many ways um, feminists in their own right. They were doing the things that they thought were important. They they lived their lives as individuals and um, really worked so hard just to better society. So you know. yeah, and they did it silently. I mean, it, you know, today everybody right. wants to be, uh, you know, uh, famous and out there and on the radio and on television and you know, and you know, uh, talking, you know, helping people. It's not that they don't try, you know, that they're not helping people, but. The nuns kind of did it just quietly and just had such an impact on so many people's lives in a very quiet 
way, in a very positive way, obviously. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's another reason it's fun to look at this book because they these nuns are letting loose. They have these huge grins, these loud, you can just hear them laughing by looking at their faces. They're throwing snowballs at each other. They're on roller coasters. It's um, it's all in good fun, and uh, we have some nuns who have told us that they really enjoy looking at it too. Yeah, so that great makes book. Feel and you know what? You got rid of it. Sort of, it gets rid of that stereotype. It really exactly. does. Exactly. Yeah. You know that you have to that it's depressing and you you know isolated. Not true at all. These nuns are definitely having fun. Get the book. <laughs> go online, bookstores everywhere, and website that listeners can go to. Maureen. Uh, at workman.com, Workman Publishing um, is the publisher of the book. You can click on Nuns Having Fun, but it's available at bookstores and on Amazon. It's just it's seven ninety five. It's a great little gift book. Uh, I hope your re- your listeners enjoy it. Yeah, great, and it's a great summer read. Yeah, Nuns Having Fun. Maureen Kelly, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Bless you, Catherine. Yes, thank you. Have a great day. Lauren and I are going to take another short break, but we'll be back in a minute. Don't go away. Finally, radio that was made just for you. Voice America Women's Radio Network. What it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart. But I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. Four years old son, ready for the big leagues. Put your bag on, buddy. Here you go, helmet. Silly head. Okay, that's right. Your thigh guards. Now don't forget your mouth guard. You don't want to be losing teeth in your first game. Well, they're baby teeth, but yeah, put it in it. Daddy. Don't let them worry you. They may be over 200 pounds and kind of mean looking, but you're ready for them. Just run through them. Here's the ball. Run! Daddy. Don't look at me. Run with it. Go, boy. Run! But I could get hurt. No pain, no gain. Now run! <laughs> You wouldn't treat your child like an adult, so why put them in adult seat belts? If they're under four foot nine, they need a booster seat. Ah, you should have straight armed them. For more information, go to boosterseat.gov. This message brought to you by the Ad Council and the U.S. Department of Transportation. We talk with you, not at you. We're Voice America, Women's Radio Network, the new face of talk radio. You're listening to The Catherine Zoff Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back, Catherine Fox, you're a social worker with a microphone on Voice America Women's Network with my co-host Lauren Beller. And yeah, I always forget to give out the number, but you can call in the comments, 866-472-5787. And our next guest is Andrea J. Buchanan, the pocket 
daring book for girls, and we're going to be discussing the high-pressured and competitive 21st century modern girlhood. Why can't girls just be girls? So, Lauren, you got to jump in on this one because Lauren has a two-year-old, so you're just like right in the midst of all of this stuff. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Nice to have you on this morning. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, well, it is hard for girls in the 21st century. I just have to tell you, I have three boys who are in their 20s, so I've kind of, well, I had boys and then I sort of passed this, but uh, I noticed there's just a lot happening with young girls. Um, they just, for whatever reason, they're, you know, by the time they're six years old, we've, you know, they're, they're, uh, they can't be little girls anymore. We expect them to grow up. It's not a good thing. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, it hits girls particularly hard, but I think, I think it's, uh, with girls and boys, I think lately, um, you know, in the past 20 years or so, as, um, media has seen children more as a target for marketing and, uh, and, uh, purchasing power, I think, uh, kids have been treated more and more like little adults. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we really wrote the Daring Book for Girls to, to try to expand girlhood a little bit longer so that girls really could just be girls and be kids and have fun and not have to worry about the grown-up things. You know, we we have so many years that we spend (laughs) as grown-ups, and really, in comparison, childhood is pretty short. So So your book is about things to do, things that girls can do other than emails and dressing up like uh, sexy, glamorous young women. Uh, doing some things that are pro- better for their heads and, and better for their psyche. And some of the things that you have in the book, though, you know, you're making your own zip line, uh, <laughs> doing yeah. things that don't involve all this technology, right? Right, right. You know, we, we have so much technology in our lives, and, and it's really fun. And, you know, it's very easy to get kind of sucked into being on the computer or playing with our gadgets. And so we really wanted to try to just bring things into balance a little bit by reminding girls about um, the kind of fun things that girls and women have always done and, and that kids have always done together. Um, you know, the original Daring Book for Girls was packed with things to do and things to know and stories and that, that sort of thing. And this little pocket-sized book is really just um, all about the projects, the crafts, the hands-on activities, getting outside and, you know, being uh, in the garden or making a geyser out of Diet Coke and Mentos or, you know, even building a zip line if you, if you are ambitious and have uh, parents who are willing to <laughs> let their dog be transformed thusly. <laughs> yeah, when you, you, I mean, how to paddle a canoe, shooting yep. a basketball, all of those things. But I yep. do have to say, Andrea, I mean, and, and it's, and you, the book is very well put together and it's very easy to do and it's a good thing to do with a parent because, you know, it improves your relationship with your parent if you're making things and doing things with them. But how do you get out of that mentality? How do you get them away from the, from the technique, you know, the technology stuff and being on the computer and all that so that they'll want to do this? Because these are, it's, the things that you have in the book are great, great things to do, but it's like you got to get them away from that other mentality, don't you? Well, you know, I think kids are kids are are, are very resilient, as most of us know, and, and really, I think kids are very open to change. I mean, my kids have the best time when they're left to their own devices. You know, I think part of what happen, what's happening nowadays is that our kids are very scheduled and they're very regimented and they're very organized, and and there's a lot of parental involvement, but. You know, when when we were kids, or, or when our grandmothers were kids, you know, uh, we we had the freedom to kind of roam around, and you know, our moms would send us out and ride bikes, and don't come back till it's dinner. You know, our, our kids don't have the same measure of freedom, 
it's not that they're, um, you know, that they're resistant to change. I think they just often aren't given the opportunity to have some unstructured time. So I think it's really just a matter of, of us as parents um, shifting our our routines or shifting our mindset and um, and offering uh, offering an alternative to, to the technology and stuff that's so seductive, you know. Um, sending our kids out in the backyard to play or, or just giving them some space to, to figure out their own games. I mean, part of the magic of, of that childhood time that I think we all remember is um, is being able to do what, you know, to just kind of read a book all day if you want to or dream or have imaginary, you know, games going on with your friends. You know, these aren't things that are going to get you uh, college credit, but it, they're things that are so important to building a, a, a good, happy, healthy child. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think one of the things, and I don't know, Lauren, I mean, and, and I think you do, that. Some, Lauren's daughter um, is over, is two, over two, actually. But I think if, and I think this book kind of, your book, um, the pocket daring book for girls, Things to Do, really brings this out. Parents have to really stay home and be a little creative with your kids. You know, it doesn't always have to, you know, like it's it's easier to take them to these structured activities, whatever they happen to be, whether it's sports or music, and, and, you know, you don't not want to do that. But stay home and be creative with them. And, you know, maybe it doesn't specifically show up on your college resume, but helping them to become creative people will help them to do better in school and to, um, you know, eventually maybe get into a, a better college. But I think it's really important, that whole issue of creativity, which is, I think, some all of these projects in the book sort of emphasize. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's really all about um, just we want it to be open-ended so that a girl could pick this up and see something and think, oh, gosh, that looks really interesting, and not feel like, oh, I have to do this perfectly or I'm going to do it wrong, or I have to, you know, have all these, you know, the special equipment to do this thing. It's really about looking around, you know, the world around you and being curious and, and also knowing how to do things so that you feel confident enough to jump in when you have the opportunity, you know. It's all it's all about kind of just putting yourself out there and getting in the game. And and that sort of thing, I really think you, you, you only gain that confidence by doing things and maybe screwing up along the way, you know, finding your own way through things. Um, and, and I think it's important to give kids a chance to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. And, Andrea, now you're the mother – of a daughter and a son who you say yes. both of whom are equally daring. So it's <laughs> <laughs> yes. not just for girls, right? It's for, I mean, everything that you write about in the book also can be for boys as well, I think. Sure, absolutely. I mean, my son loves the uh, the daring book for girls as much as he loves the dangerous book for boys. You know, what we were what we really wanted to do with that, with the daring book, was bring in, was really honor the kind of girl lore that often gets, lost as we grow older you know boys boys can look back on their childhood games and you know feel feel proud you know we kind of have this storied american tradition of you know boys games and um and and boy and men can be proud of their time as boys and i think oftentimes girls are encouraged to grow up and stop being so girly you know and and we don't think there's anything wrong with a girl um you know loving to uh so wash the, how about wash the car? You have a- yeah, wash the car and so pillowcase into a skirt and you know uh, know so, a little something about stocks and bonds. You know, I mean, there, there's room for everything, and it's you know, uh, a girl can enjoy slumber parties and still be a really strong basketball player or you know business-minded person, you know, running her own lemonade stand outside the on a hot summer day. 
And you also have this chapter on how to be a spy, girls. I like that one, uh, top secret <laughs> communication. So that's, yeah, that's that's fun. And that's something, I guess, I don't know, I was thinking about boys doing that kind of stuff, but um doesn't have to be, that's- right? Yeah. Oh, no, there's a fantastic tradition of women's but I mean, Julia Child was a spy, which I <laughs> I hadn't realized before working on this book. You know, we all know her as a chef, but she was and a drinker. A spy. I, I, yeah. she, I hope she was not drinking while she was spying, you know, like a big <laughs> spy during World War II, was she? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. She was she was a spy, and uh, Hedy Lamarr, and Josephine Baker, and there were Civil War spies and Revolutionary War spies. I mean, girls have been there on the front lines for these things that we traditionally think about as being boys' activities. And and strangely enough, some of the things that we think of as traditional girl activities, like jump rope, started out as boys-only games. Hopscotch, in fact, was a Roman military training exercise. And, you know, today we think of it as a girls' game on the playground. Always, and that was one of the games that I played, all the jacks and hopscotch and mm-hmm. jump rope. Those were the main, I love those, those, too. Yeah, and I didn't realize that those were traditionally for boys or for men. Yeah. That's interesting, yeah. There's actually a spy museum in Washington, D.C. Have you yes. been? Yeah, and then and, and I, when you're talking, and the, I think they um, – they they kind of go well. They have men and women, but they do have mm-hmm. some very important. What was her name? That was wondering. I can't remember. There were several. It was all World War Two. There were a lot of spies, women spies. So mm-hmm. um, we can start. If, if little girls start reading your book, they can get into that field if they want to. The CIA, FBI, whatever. But um, the pocket daring book for girls: things to do. Do you have a website? Yes, we do. It's uh, daringbookforgirls.com. And uh, and girls can go there and uh, they can download some uh, stationery and a passport to adventure and um, the daring girl anthem song lyrics and you know, all kinds of fun stuff like that. So tell me, what um, Andrea? How did your what was the response from your own daughter for the book? I mean, did you get feedback oh, from her? Yeah, she she was very excited about it, um, very much involved in it. In fact. In the original book, there's an illustration of a girl wearing a chiton, um, which is an ancient Greek um, outfit, and, and that girl in the picture is my daughter. So she's very, very much, very much a part of the book, and uh, and very excited about it. Um, she and her friends um, go through and pick things to do from the book together. It's it's very fun to see the book kind of out in the wild with real girls, um, you know, resonating. How old is your daughter, and did she give you any suggestions for things to put into the book? Yeah, my daughter is nine now. She was eight when I was working on the the, the big book, uh, the first book, and she was uh, she had lots of suggestions, uh, hopscotch and uh, lots of other things. She she had um I, I did use her and her friends and other other girls that we know as uh, guinea pigs for some of the activities <laughs> to make sure that they they worked well and uh, and that they um, were received well by girls and were things that girls did. But what was really surprising to me was, uh, you know, we wanted to include hand clap games, those kind of games that girls do on the playground, because we remembered so strongly doing that ourselves. And when I started talking to my daughter about it, she was like, oh, yeah, of course, I know those ones. And I never taught them to her. But this is something that girls just teach to each other. Yeah, that's true. We have 30 seconds left. The Pocket Daring Book for Girls, Things to Do. Great book, and it's a wonderful birthday present. Uh, You know, if you're trying to figure out what to give to girls for a birthday present, this is the book to do it. Andrea J. Buchanan, thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Thanks for having me. 
You're listening to Voice America Women's Network. I'm Catherine Zox with Lauren Deller, and we will be back in a minute. radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Are the days passing by faster than you can believe? Do your kids, job, pets, family, errands, and life demands leave no time left for you? Listen to Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum each week. You can have it all, balance it, and truly enjoy your life. Be ready to have fun, laugh, and learn from celebrities and everyday heroes. We don't need an entire life overhaul, just a little bit of tweaking for our lives to be what we want. Life Tune-Ups with Lauren Slocum, every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Women's Network. Your life is waiting for you. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice. What if something happens? Will you come get me? Should I stay where I am and wait for you? Or go to Grandma's house since it's closer? Should I pick a place for me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? How do we keep in touch with each other if the phones don't work? Should I be worried how we all get home? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. radio that informs, entertains, and enlightens you. Voice America, Women's Radio Network. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for? listening to The Catherine Zoff Show on the Voice America Women's Channel. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zoff, your social worker with the microphone with my co-host Lauren Deller, and you are listening to Voice America Women's Network, your social worker with a microphone. Joining us, our last guest is Ann Burrell, and uh, she is going to be talking about her new show, Secrets of a Restaurant Chef. And uh, this is on the Food Network. Uh, looking forward to this. I think it's this Sunday, June 29th at 9.30 a.m. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Anne. Well, thanks so much for having me. Okay. You are the expert uh, executive chef at New York Hotspot Centro. Vinoteco, am I pronouncing that right? Vinoteca, yeah. Vinoteca. Yeah, exactly. And Mario Batali's energetic and reliable sous chef. That's how they describe you. So. Oh, wow, well, that's a pretty big, uh, pretty big handle. <laughs> it is. This is very cool. Okay, you are going to be uncovering the many secrets of a restaurant chef. And uh, so tell us about it. What are some of the secrets of a restaurant chef? Well, what I'm really trying to accomplish with this show is to be able to make restaurant quality food accessible to the home cook. 
<laughs> so it's about due to, you know, the level of seasoning and the um, the level of heat and all of that kind of stuff. And just to, to give the home cook just some general confidence in um, in preparing food so they'll be like, wow, this is as good as when I ate it out. So we don't get frightened, as you say, and I think that that's one of the things you think. You eat it out, you've got the secret uh, to pasta bolognese. I mean, you know, when you hear that, it's like, oh, my God, I can never make that at home. I mean, it was great, but it's just too complicated. I can't find the ingredients. It's going to take too long. I mean, th- these are all the things that I think about when I'm trying to recreate something that I've had at a wonderful restaurant, let's say. In right, and I think, yeah. you know, I think that's a pretty common feeling. So that's what I just I, I try to do and to break it on down and to remove the fear factor and to elevate the fun factor to just make it more fun. And then, and then, you know, like really when you're making food like this, that it doesn't have to be stressful and that when you feed it to your friends or your family and all that, people are like, wow, this is so good. And then, you know, collecting the kudos is always a fun thing. Yeah, oh, that's the best part about it. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they think you're fabulous, wonderful. Hey, you're this great chef. I exactly, have a and then yeah. you don't have to do the dishes either when you cook. It's more that's fun right. to make the mess. <laughs> exactly. You cook, uh, that's how I am. If I cook it, I don't clean up. That's the rule of thumb, yeah. But I have to ask you a question because this is something that really bothers me, and I don't know why. It seems to me, and uh, I eat in the city, in New York City, a lot, and I find that in a lot of restaurants now, they when they cook and they'll, that they add a lot of, like, sweet sauces to things that they never did before, um, things that I think don't need sweet sauces. And I, 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 since I, you're the expert, I, I really, I mean, I think that sometimes, to me, the quality of the food has changed over the years, whether it's Americans are more used to eating things with salt and sugar and stuff so that the good restaurants put more of that in their dishes. Am I crazy, or is this something? Well, I think what's happening is that, you know, we have such a um, – a, a, a much more broad spectrum of, of availability of ingredients. And so a lot of times, you know, people get so excited to use all of their ingredients that sometimes, you know, people don't remember when to put the brakes on. And I think that's that's something that's also really important to to know when you're writing recipes or, or thinking about, you know, making food like taste it as you go does it taste good because if you don't like it you know then it's your dinner you're making really and so taste 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 and and things should really taste good and it's you know with sweet stuff and salty stuff or savory stuff you know really it's it's all a, a matter of um your own palate so you know a lot of times people like that that sweet and savory, um, you know, flavor opposition. But I, I'm, I'm like you. I'm, I'm more of a. I have a savory palate. I like, I like salty stuff. Yeah, I do too. I like that better than. I'm not a, a sweet person. Um, and what about portion size? Um, is that something that we should? I mean, obviously, that's a. You know, I thought some restaurants, you know, do it really well. Other restaurants, I mean, you, you get, you know, a certain, uh, you'll get a portion size for four people for just one person. Um, and I'm. I guess it just depends on the restaurant. and Right, um, and then it yeah. seems like, you know, the more expensive the restaurant, the tinier the portion gets. Exactly. For, <laughs> so, for $90, you get like a dollop of whatever it is, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, um, 
Uh, portion sizes, I mean, you know, that's always a huge controversial thing. You know, like um, they say that that contributes to, you know, why Americans are, are overweight and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I really feel like it's, you know, for for a portion of protein and stuff, you know, I'm right in the the five six ounce um, portion kind of person. You yeah, know, that's, that's, that's how we go. That, yeah, like, that's yeah. I have a. I mean, I serve a big huge steak. I serve a big huge pork chop. But you know, like really, I think you know, I myself don't eat like that regularly. But occasionally, you know, I, I'm really psyched to tear into a big piece of yeah. meat. <laughs> Tear <laughs> into that chicken. I see you have the secret to to roasted chicken, which I happen to like. And you're right. Sometimes I feel like tearing into the entire chicken. But of course, if you're in the restaurant and it's not there, you can't do it. Of course, at home, you can. You know, you can. Sure, make, sure, yeah. sure. And you know, the thing about it is the the roasted chicken and and the secrets of that I'm trying to give. I tried to you know in all the shows and all the the food that I was preparing. Um, or, or teaching the techniques of, I try to make it stuff that, that people would be really psyched to try to do. Um, you know, that they would look at it and be like, wow, a roasted chicken, you know, sometimes that seems like it might be like a special occasion kind of thing, you know, and it, it doesn't have to be. So that's what I, in that particular show, the secret is like, all right, let's, let's olive oil it up and season it and, and we'll teach you how to truss it and shoot it in the oven and then in about an hour you have a roasted chicken dinner. Yeah, and that's what I have to watch your show. That's Sunday, July 13th at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Uh Okay, The Secret to Roasted Chicken, because I have chicken every night, and I don't seem to be able to vary it. That gets boring, too. And I notice that all your recipes look like, I mean, they're the kinds of things that I like to eat, the seared bass, the pork chops, steamed mussels, you know, things that you can, that are simple, but, you know, if you add, well, we'll find the secret, I guess, when we listen to the show, but um, just some, sometimes just a few added additions make it right. very so, right tips exactly it's like when you go to a restaurant why is a pork chop so good and then you try to make one at home and you're like uh pork yeah. chop <laughs> you know like um and you know really i grew up with the 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 kind of mom as i bet you a lot of people did that she would get really thin pork chops and then cook the cook them for like an hour because she didn't want anyone to get sick and then it yeah. was dry 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 Pork chops don't have to be that way, and, and chicken, roasted chicken doesn't have to be dry. In fact, it shouldn't be, and it should be really succulent and really flavorful. Can it be pink? Is this the secret? You know, well, they, I always they say it can be pink or it can't be pink or you'll die if it's pork. Pink is perfect. I mean, pink pork, and I would even go, you know, like, I, I sometimes when people see the pork that I would eat, they would think that it's, I, I push the envelope a little bit. But, um, but really, also, you have to remember, you know, the stuff that I teach you in Secrets of a Restaurant Chef is that, um, you know, these are the techniques for how I do it in a restaurant. And, and you try these and see if they work for you. And if they don't, then, you know, modify them so you feel really psyched about it. And the recipe police will not be on their way right over. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to come and get you, but then you won't right. get all the kudos from your guests. Right, you're, exactly. Yeah. But it's like I'm giving you all the tools to be able to be successful at it. I, I, we have two minutes left. I don't know if this is too big a question for this one, but I'm always. This is very interesting. You were this, you know, your experience as a sous chef for Mario Batali. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That must have been fascinating. I mean, well, um, uh, I, on Iron Chef, it's um, you know, it's it's fascinating, but it's very fast. You know, we have to do everything uh, in an hour, and um, so it's it's 
he's just a, a lovely man, and uh, so he's lots of fun, and it's really an honor to be able to be on that show with him. Yeah, you must be really good because, as you say, a lot of pressure to do that and to do it well in such a short period, of, to be able to cook in such a short period of time. Well, I mean, you know, that's that's sort of sometimes how we roll in the restaurant. You know, it's a lot of times it's a very high-pressure uh, situation when you have a lot of people to feed in a short amount of time, you know. But it, it's it's that adrenaline rush that it gets to be really fun. Fantastic. Great having you on the show. I did. I learned a lot today. Secrets of a Restaurant Chef premiering Sunday, June 29th, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time on the Food Network. Great having you on today. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I hope uh, I hope everybody watches. So yeah, thank you. Definitely will be watching, right, Lauren? Absolutely. <laughs> yes, and uh, we have to say goodbye. So uh, you've been listening to The Catherine Zock Show with Lauren Beller on Voice America Women's Network. Have a great day, and uh, Lauren and I will see you next week. <laughs> 